0: This morning we read from the book of Acts, chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. Then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose men from among their members and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers, with the following letter the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than the essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and what is strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. This is the word of God. For the people of God. God. So I spent the last few days of May in Oklahoma City at what we call our Oklahoma Annual Conference. Every year across the nation we gather in annual conferences, All the pastors of the United Methodist Churches for us, that's in the state of Oklahoma, along with an equal number of lay representatives from those same congregations, gather together to discuss how we're doing, where we're going. Sometimes we're in full agreement in terms of the direction we ought to go, and we're able to move forward together easily. Other times things are sent back to committees or task force to be reworked. Other times they're tabled. Sometimes we vote, and whatever the majority vote is, that's the rule of the day. Well, sometimes those are easy decisions, other times they are difficult. But it's no different than the very first conference of the church, which we read about today in this 15th chapter of Acts. Here we have the apostles, the original 11 disciples, plus one they've elected we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and others who have now come to faith, who believe and want to be followers of Jesus Christ. They've come together because they have a problem. They're not sure that everybody who wants to be in the family of Christ is really welcomed, and if so, how do they get in? How do they decide who can come in and who can be a part of this this discussion that we've read about this morning in chapter 15 is a turning point in the life of the church not only in their day but it sets the tone and the direction for the rest of the days of the church specifically they're debating and discussing who is included in the church and under what criteria that is what is required to get into this group now remember with me that jesus is a Jew, and all the first disciples are Jews. There's a group among them, the Pharisees, who are the ones who are most ardent about following all the rules of Judaism as written in the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, their zealousness has been one of the key things that has held Judaism together and moved Jewish life forward through all these different eras and years of struggle and sacrifice. So, All Jews following Jesus, who is a Jew, and then we have these reports that begin to come to them that there are those who believe, who are followers of this Jesus of Nazareth, who they believe is the Messiah, but they're Gentiles. They've not been a part of the Jewish community. They're not following Jewish practices, and yet they are followers of Christ. They're proclaiming and believing the same gospel as these Jewish Christians are. And the debate is, do they have to follow all the rules to become a part of this family of faith? Or is there another way to entrance? The other side of the argument is, no, all of us, Jew or Gentile, any who want to come, are saved by grace. That is the unmerited love of God available to each and every one of us who would receive it. Well, in our decision today, They decide to go with grace. But before we get further into that decision, I want us to think about our own decision-making here at the church for just a moment. I particularly want us to notice verse 28. That's where Luke records this. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And then they go on to talk about the decision. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And then they describe the direction they're moving forward. I think that's what we're going for when we're making decisions here at Boston Avenue. We want to discuss, debate, disagree. That's all fine. But at some point, we want to also be in prayer to see if we can sense where God is leading us. It's called spiritual discernment. It's modeled here in Acts and in other places in Scripture where disciples come together and pray Discuss sometimes disagree sometimes debate and open themselves to the influence of God to lead them into the future I think that's how we make decisions at our best is that we include scripture and tradition experience and reason We share our own ideas, but it's not so much about our ideas as discerning What is God doing in our midst? Where is God leading us and then doing our best to respond to the leading of God's Spirit in our midst? In this passage today, the decision these disciples make is to write a letter to these Gentile Christians. In the letter they say, we have decided this idea of the only way to enter for male converts is through circumcision. We'll set that aside. They say there are these four commandments, though, that we want you to follow. They all come from the holiness codes. You can find those in the book of Leviticus, in the Hebrew scriptures, and other places. There's lots of detail. We're not going to go into all those details this morning. I can tell you, basically, they're an extension of the Ten Commandments and elaborate on how you might or how a person might go about following those Ten Commandments. But in these holiness codes, it's important to understand their purpose. They have written these rules. These rules help the people of God stay cohesive as a community and connected to God as a people of God. Now, the four they mentioned this morning that they believe are still important for the Gentiles to follow, the first three all have to do with worshiping idols. And they say, we're not worshiping idols. It's important to worship one God. The last one has to do with fornication, a specific kind of sexual morality where we honor and are faithful in our commitments. And we do not covet others' or neighbors' property. In that time, women still seen as property. But in our time, there's all this debate and consternation and discussion about whether or not we can include LGBTQ people in our churches. A lot of people, when they're discussing that, are quoting these holiness codes. I think it's interesting and important for us to think about that over 2,000 years ago, the apostles and the first disciples said, they no longer apply. They are not entrance requirements or criteria to be a part of the body of Christ. And yet, we still have a lot of Christians quoting Leviticus. As the basis for their objection and condemnation of people who are seeking Christ. You may find that hard to believe, but it's true. It's clear in this text. They say all these other things are not important anymore. We want you to be a part of the family of faith. You might even find it hard to believe, but I've read recently that Bible scholars are pointing out that the word homosexual or homosexuality was not even a word used in the Bible until the 1946 Revised Standard Version was published in English. Always before, the word translated had to do with abusive sexual relationships, particularly exploiting children sexually. 1946 that was changed that's a very late translation I think it's inaccurate I think it's a mistake I think we would rather go with the early church and their policy of inclusion and their policy of embodying the love of God to any who want to come and be a part of that That's why our leadership here at Boston Avenue has recently reaffirmed the direction we want to go and said that we want to focus on essentials of faith without adding other criteria which restrict any who would seek Christ here or who would come and participate with us. We do not want to restrict any of them from participating fully in our life together as a Christian community. Something for you to think about. But there's another insight here as well. It has to do with the style they approach this whole conflict, this whole idea that there's disagreement within the body. It's interesting to note that these early Christians took into account both sides of the conflict. Rather than being trapped in either this or that, either you all get to come but you all don't, they're looking for a way that all might be invited into the life of faith together as followers of Christ. So they say to these Gentile Christians, you don't have to live by all these rules, but there are these that we would like for you to follow. They say to the Jewish Christians, how about we ease up on all this list of rules and focus on the essentials of faith, and they invite both groups to move toward one another in that way. Here at the church, when we had a group of leaders last year writing our core values, One of the things they wanted to make sure we stated clearly was our very first core value, which we said affirms everyone is a beloved child of God. We have to get this relationship with God clear to begin with, that everyone is created by God. All of us are children of God and beloved and therefore included. I read a story about a woman who is retired executive she'd been a very successful business person now retired moved back to her home community one day some local navajo children knocked on elaine borgen's door they wanted to go to the movies and they knew she was a person of resources and were wondering if maybe she would give them money to go to the movies she said i can't give you all money to go to the movies but if you're serious come back tomorrow And I will talk with you about how you can earn enough money to go to the movies. The next day, they came back. She began to talk to them about business and how they could work to earn money. Now, it's important to know that the backdrop of this story is happening in a county where more than 30% of the people are living below the poverty line. And less than 1% of all businesses are owned by Native Americans these young people do not have a lot of successful examples of being business owners but she tells them what that can be like and how that might work begins to talk to them about what they're interested in what they would like to work on and they end up creating something they call the lickety split chocolate company and they begin to make chocolate she shows them how to structure a company they appoint a ceo and a president a vice president, someone, the head of marketing and logistics, someone to work on how to present this in terms of a storefront so they could do retail, 15 kids working with Elaine, ages 8 to 16. Would you believe in their first three years, they earned nearly $30,000? It's an amazing story. Since then, they've opened a bakery and they've added coffee to the menu. One of the young students who was there from the beginning makes a very business-like statement when he says, we like working here, but maybe we like it too much. We have about 30% waste. That's higher than most chocolate factories. But we are kids, and we love chocolate, and we have trouble keeping our hands off of it. (laughs) It's a wonderful story of what can happen when people help other people. But I want us to notice how Elaine responded when they came to her door. She didn't say, nobody invited you here, get off my yard. She didn't say, I don't have any interest in you, I don't know you. No negative messages at all. Rather, she gave a positive response, an invitation to come back rather than reinforcing the stereotypes they've heard throughout their lives that they're not worthy and they don't deserve help. Her message said, you are valuable. You are worth my time. I see something in you, skills and talents that can be developed. You can do good things. You can work together. And they began to flourish as she led them in this enterprise. I think Elaine lickety-split chocolate company is a contemporary example of what we read about in the book of acts today in terms of working with other people and looking for ways to say you are valuable you are wanted you are included you are a part of the family of faith it can be a model for our church and for all churches how to be faithful disciples of jesus christ The good news is that there are rules and guidelines for living as a Christian, but we must realize they are not to be a burden. They're not given so that they might be a burden. They are to free us to love and expand the circle of love to others. I've devoted my life to trying to help the church fulfill this call of Christ. Years ago, I decided the key was to love people into the church into the family of christ that we were commanded and called to lead with love and grace we are told over and over in this book of acts and throughout the gospels as we see the life of christ and the life of those earliest apostles and disciples that they were willing to work with anybody who was seeking a life with god through Christ it's the model the example the embodiment that Christ revealed to us as well as that of the early church I was recently reading a story about best practices within local churches they were giving examples of welcoming and hospitality from all over one of the stories told about a woman whose father had abandoned her as a child her mother it said had been in a series of abusive relationships and unfortunately she had repeated the mother's pattern she too had fallen in to a cycle of unhealthy relationships involving abuse and violence Well, by this time she had six children little education few skills no good way to support them no partner to help parent them or support them she was in pretty desperate circumstances and then she got news that the only person who had ever loved her well her grandmother had died and she was driving to the funeral but she shares that not only was she dreading having to bury her grandmother but she was dreading how she assumed she would be treated by the lawyer and the pastor and by the good church folk there at the church where her grandmother had worshipped. But she went, she found her place in the sanctuary, and she says she was surprised that when the pastor began to speak, she said things that actually spoke to her heart and gave her a sense of comfort and a sense of hope in the midst of the pain and the desperation she was feeling at the death of her grandmother. She was really buoyed, she said by the words of that pastor. And then afterward, so many people saying wonderful things about how much they loved her grandmother. But then she said even more surprising was she felt that they genuinely were welcoming her and that they really did care about her and maybe even were extending love for her. She was finding it all a little overwhelming, but finally most of the people had gone, and the pastor came across the room holding a book. She told the young woman, this was your grandmother's Bible. I spent a lot of time with her in the last few weeks and days of her life. Never a day went by that she didn't speak of you and pray for you. She asked me to help Write a letter that she could leave for you. And I did. It's right here in the pages of the Bible. She wanted you to have this book and to be sure and read the letter. The letter said that the grandmother hoped that her granddaughter would stay in the community and keep the home and run the farm and give herself a chance to start a new life with all the pain and abuse and the heartache of the past. The end of the letter read like this. I know that you might decide to sell everything, take the money, and leave. I would want you to have it anyway, so do what you think is right. Just remember that this is your home, and that this house and this farm and this book will always be full of love for you. Now, dear, please read Romans 8, 28 through 39. I've marked it just for you. Love always, Grandma. Romans 8 was the basis for the affirmation we read together this morning that proclaims that nothing can separate us from the love of God we've come to know in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate any of us from the love of God extended for each of us through Jesus Christ. That grandma, that pastor, and that church expanded the circle of love to include a woman who had known mostly pain and abuse throughout her life and helped her begin to glimpse the idea that she was a beloved child of God. As followers of Christ, should we do any less?